Hello and welcome to the PhD Life Raft podcast. I'm Emma Brzezinski and today I'm talking to Professor Lynette Goddard. We begin by talking about Lynette's own experience of doing a PhD and then we go on to touch on other areas such as intersectionality, on finding mentors and about identifying the legacy of your PhD project. So I hope you enjoy. Hello, Lynette. Hi, Emma. Thanks um, for having me. You are so welcome. Um, I just always confess, I'm confessing that we do know each other. Um, and actually, we did our PhDs together. Mm-hmm. So, um, and we've had lots of conversations about race um, and, well, lots of other things too. But I think because I've witnessed you negotiating this arena and kind of coming into the academy and all of that you know us developing careers and coming through and you have always negotiated it with such grace and such kind of thoughtful reflection that is why I wanted to talk to you about this and let other people benefit from that wisdom too so thank you so much for saying yes and I always start with these interviews with, with asking people to talk about their own experience of their PhDs. So how was that for you? Gosh, so my PhD, I finished my PhD in 2004. So I should just say that. So I, I studied it part time, started it in 1997 and finished it in 2004. So I did it within six years. Um, and I was working, well, you know this, yep. I was working part-time at the same time. So sort of half the year I got to spend on my PhD and then the other half of the year I would be sort of teaching and doing regular um, academic life stuff. Um, and then for the second half of the PhD, I had actually got a full-time job. So that meant that I only was able to focus on my writing in the holidays so I sometimes say to people that I wrote my PhD in the Easter, Christmas and summer holidays. And in a way, it kind of felt like that. But I think it's been a pattern that has helped me going forward in terms of how I separate the kind of teaching term um, period of the academic year from the kind of research, the points at which I'm more able to focus on my research. It's really um, interesting, isn't it? Because I think a, a, a lot of people struggle on that part-time mm, route. But mm. actually, like you say, it can be a really useful training ground in mm, terms mm, of mm. that's where you get to do your work. Yeah, well, it's given me a structure I think that I've pretty much stuck to since then. And I've been able to then write two books, two normal size books you know phd length books well one was my phd actually and and a, a shorter book so like a twenty-five thousand word book using that kind of model of you know carving out the time in the periods when i have the time so rather than worrying about what i'm not able to do in the times when i have to focus on teaching preparation and being in the classroom i just know in my mind okay no worries when it comes to the breaks that's when your the, the the balance of your focus will kind of shift towards your research so 
Yeah. I think you're being characteristically um, humble in that, in that, that you have published so much and you have spoken in so many areas and you have this great body of work behind you, um, which is amazing and I'm in awe of. And the work, one of the projects particularly I was going to ask you about today mm-hmm. that we were just involved in was this Phenomenal Women project. Mm-hmm which the full title was Phenomenal Women, Portraits of UK Black Female Professors. So tell us a little bit about that. Okay, so the first thing I should probably say about that is that that was a project that I was part of because I'm one of only 27, I think it is at the moment, uh, black women, uh, women with an X, uh, professors in the UK. So it was a project that was um, an exhibition of photos that was curated by Nicola Rollock and Bill Knight um, Mm. in order to kind of celebrate uh, black women professors. So it had come out, Nicola Rollock had done a report, uh, maybe 2017, some while ago anyway, where she'd worked out, found out that there were only 25 at that time, black women professors in the UK. So this is out of something like 20,000 professors in the UK. So it's 0.00 whatever percentage of professors in the UK are black women. And she had this idea that she would celebrate the 25. Mm. It became about 45, I think, in the end, because they included people that were emeritus professors or... Um, yeah, had been professors and had left. Um, so they included a kind of wider range than the kind of 27 current uh, professors. And they wanted to celebrate that with a photo exhibition. So Bill Knight um, took on this task. It was sort of last October. So I'd only just become a professor at that point. And I got this invite to be part of this exhibition. And it was just an exhibition to kind of show the... The, the breadth so the different areas in which black women are professors um and also just to show us in a kind of uh, so not kind of delivering a lecture or anything but just in whatever environment we wanted to be and so I remember I actually had my photos taken at Bill Knight's house because he lives not far from me I was going to say um, where is that gorgeous chair because you're in the most beautiful yeah. chair well where? I say this but then I look at the carpet and I think no the rug or whatever it is and I'm like no that's just not my rug it just like that but the other nice chair though was to come to he could have come to War Holloway but we couldn't sort of there were two, two of the black women professors, I should say, are at Royal Holloway. Yes. So there's I myself and, and Gloria um, in the Department of Management, who's also uh, one of these 27. Yeah. And so, but the day that he was coming to Royal Holloway, I wasn't available. So I went to his house and I took my sort of stack of books. So when you see the photo of me, there's a kind of stack of my books, you know, Doreen Lawrence books and Bell Hooks. I think right. I took a couple of my own books. And then I was reading a book called impact of race and theatre so yeah it's a great exhibition it was it's a, really it, beautiful it, it, it launched in March or something so it was just before lockdown and so it never got to do its the next place it was I think it was going to go to the South Bank Centre next but I have just heard literally last week I heard that the exhibition is about to go to the South Bank and it will be a sort of external 
they're going to do sort of external uh they're going to show it outside the queen elizabeth hall amazing they're creating um a kind of installation of these i guess i don't know in what form they're going to be but they're going to be outside so people more people be able to just walk by and see them Yes, because they're beautiful images inside. in their own right, aren't they? But I think the power of the message behind them too is... Um, yeah. I awesome. like them because they're black and white. And I mean, I yes. sort of like sort of black and white, black and white for black women. Yeah, yeah. That's thing. Yeah, and yeah. I think, yeah, lots of black women with, you know, our own natural hair, etc. cetera. Um, I should say, though, as well, that I identify as non-binary. Right. So right. When, I, when I was invited to be part of this exhibition and to kind of count as a black woman, I, I sort of, I thought about it for a while. And then I thought, no, actually, in terms of keeping up the numbers of the black women professors, you know, to make 26 become 27, then I will, I, I'm a black woman in that respect. So mm. I'm read as a black woman. I'm seen as a black woman by many people. I suppose my career part took me 20 years to get to, professor yes it's quite a long time I think yes. and and some of that may have been to do with uh race and the intersection race and intersectionality I suppose so although I I would say I'm a non-binary person I do identify as a black woman when it comes to added into that count I suppose if we're going to say how many black non-binary professors there are there probably be even fewer Mm, mm. well and I think that issue of intersection intersectionality mm-hmm. say it right it's is becoming more and more important yeah um so I wonder how because obviously in that moment it was it was really significant does that how does that play out in other areas within yeah. the academy mm. well funny enough so my work has always been about intersectionality right but I think I didn't call it that I used to say I'm looking at race gender and sexuality mm. but that's kind of I'm looking at race and sexuality so I now say I'm looking at race and intersectionality I suppose in terms of the academy so one of the things for example is that in drama in that in, in the discipline that I'm that I'm in which is drama and theatre there were very few well for a long time I was the only black let's say woman the only black woman to have a full-time post at a drama department in the UK and for a long time there was there was me and then for a little while there were maybe three or four of us so I think when if you're looking for black women you might find more in other disciplines let's say maybe sociological disciplines for example um but i do think that we are i don't want to use the word excluded but we are super marginalized in certain areas of the academy let's say Mm. Um, and then there's the whole thing as well around kind of senior leadership and the, the the lack of black people first of all and particularly black women within kind of senior leadership roles i mean when you keep coming back to that 20 still 26 I know. black professors out of twenty thousand, you know so if there were 26 out of 260 
that's one thing. If they were 26 out of 2,600, that's another thing. It's another, a 26 out of 20,000. Wow. And I think that issue, as we know, of kind of role models and mentors, mm. and that is so important. Um, and you mentioned some of the reading that you've done. Mm-hmm. And so I just wondered where, where you found mentorship, where you have found role models. Gosh, I guess, I mean, I think I took a lot of my, well, one, one mentor was not a black woman, actually. Right. So I would say it would have been um, Jackie Bratton, of course, who um, as a woman, as an LGBTQ person, mm. I think it was really, really important in terms of encouraging me to find my own voice and articulate my own voice. Mm. Um, but then aside from that, I guess it is the kind of the work of scholars like um, Heidi Mertzer, for example, who did the work on black British feminisms, which I found really, really helpful. And again, it's that thing of black women talking in our own voices, I suppose. Um, but more than that, it's the, the work from African-American scholars, really. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, at the beginning of my PhD, I was reading Bell Hooks, Audre Lorde. That, that was where I kind of started my mm-hmm. PhD work. So that was 1997. Even before that, actually, when I decided to do a PhD, I was reading Bell Hooks and Audre Lorde. So that's 1994. Mm-hmm. And I'm still going back continually to the work of Bell Hooks, Audre Lorde, um, Patricia Hill Collins, Angela Davies, um, so the black, the African-American feminist mm. writers who really articulate this idea that as black scholars, we need to try and connect our life experiences with um, our analysis of the work that we analyse. Now, I yes. don't know that I've always managed to do that in quite the way that they do. And I think that that is where the kind of question of voice as a black woman within a white academy comes into play because sometimes I do feel like I've my my voice I've hidden my voice you know because I'm maybe in a setting where I'm not sure that room is ready to hear my experiences in full so people like Bell Hooks and um uh Audrey Lord they they were they were quite clear about what they were doing who they were doing it for they were doing it for black women and they were out there to empower black women but as a kind of minority I'm often like many of the companies I go to I'm often the only black person there and so being at a conference and looking out at a sea of white faces and then trying to find the confidence to speak a la Audre Lorde is uh Mm. is, is still it's still really challenging for me to think about how to incorporate sort of the personal with the kind of political and analytical well, I have seen you speak beautifully, yes. eloquently, <laughs> confidently, just just amazing work that you do, amazing work that you do. Um, but I am thinking of, the, you know, someone who's listening to this as a PhD student mm. and starting off, so kind of just to sit with that uncomfortable moment, I guess, for a bit, for a bit 
longer and to and I think also to acknowledge that because just because you appear eloquent and confident that doesn't mean that that is <laughs> always what's going on for you I think you do that work um because of and despite of how you feel in that moment and that is is what I think is amazing um, yeah. what I would say sorry to interrupt but I would say that yeah so even if with all of the maybe discomfort or the feeling that I'm losing my voice or I've lost my voice and search for my voice. I think I, I do come with quite a strong sense of why I'm doing the work that I'm yeah. doing. Yeah. And so I think that's the thing I would always advise people to hold on to, like why, why you're doing the work that you're doing and why you're doing the work that you're doing will be unique. So, for example, you and I could have the same set of, people call it raw data, don't they, the same set of, plays the same set of reviews from the plays the same set of historical information about the plays but we can tell a different story Mm. about those plays or about that play and that's because of who we are uniquely Mm. and so I do hold on to that idea that I'm the only person that can tell the story of black Mm. theatre for example in the way that I tell it and Mm. that someone else um, to the side might tell it in a different way so Mm. I've been doing a lot of work on Black Lives Matter for quite yes. a while. It's kind of yes. interesting. It's really prominent this year. But I've been doing work on plays that deal with black men in the police for about four or five years now. And mm. I can talk about those plays in a way based on my memory, based on things that I remember from, say, the 80s and the 90s. So I can talk about them in a way that's different to someone who's kind of coming at that research fresh. Mm. So I think that's the thing to hold on to. What is it that you're bringing that, 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 is, that does come from personal experience? So that is like Audre Lorde and that, even if you can't always articulate that, you can articulate it somehow in the way that you analyse the work. That is really helpful in terms of, and that's stepping into that PhD process as well, isn't it? That mm. sense of kind of, of your why, I think. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Are you doing it? Um, yeah. What's the thing that's going to make you, I say this to PhD students all the time, I say in that moment when you get to the middle of the PhD and you've got all your material and you can't get any piece of writing finished and you're just feeling really, really stuck, Mm. you have to have the subject Mm. that is going to make you wake up every day and still do that. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So wake up every day and still try to write the thing, still try to read the next piece of research or whatever it might be. And I think that's to do with your why. Mm. For me, it was like, Black British theatre has not been documented, rarely been documented, hardly been documented, and someone needs to document it. And that's my why. I love it. I love it. And that sense of, of kind of collecting mm. tours and finding spaces that support you. Mm. I don't know if you have any advice on finding those spaces is that that's a that's yeah. a tough question isn't it to answer gosh 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 it's funny because I've I sort of I think now there might be more spaces particularly for black scholars and people of color um scholars because I think there is more critical mass even in kind of literature and theatre and performance studies where generally those communities haven't been very large Mm. I think there is much there is more of a critical mass there 
And I suppose, oh gosh, I don't know really, within, within the academy, I don't know, to be honest. Um, I guess the thing would be to find the spaces as well outside of the academy. Yes. So I think for me, while I was doing my PhD, a lot of my kind of connections or were to people that were outside of the academy but were black people. But at that time, you know, it's time, you know, in the 90s, people were talking about race much more. And, you know, my friends still do talk about race much more maybe than than your average person, if you like. So although they weren't in my discipline or they were still able to kind of have those conversations with me, I think. Absolutely. I think that might be the thing, might be to not maybe not to kind of just think about people that are within your discipline. Maybe that's the advice, particularly if you're in a discipline like theatre studies where black, black, black and brown people are really underrepresented, but maybe it's about looking for communities of people outside of your discipline or in other disciplines or in related disciplines, you know? Yeah. Dis- in disciplines that might help to feed the work that you're doing. I know when I was a PhD student, I um, really wanted to know more about how you might use sociology, you know, sociological analysis to understand black theatre. So a lot of my connections were actually people that were in sociological and cultural studies disciplines rather than in theatre studies. Mm. So it I might think yeah, yeah, finding community, isn't it? Finding people yeah. that you can... And I think also c- kind of going to an interdisciplinary place can be really yeah. useful because yeah. it helps you to reflect back on your own discipline. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so there will, be, there will be things that you share, but there's also be that in particular. And again, that comes back to your why, isn't it? That's what I'm doing in my discipline. That's what I yeah. bring back to my work, is that... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really, really helpful. Um, so... I always conclude here with asking people impossible questions. So here's your impossible question. In terms of a top tip. So, I mean, of course, this is ridiculous. It's like with any sort of higher education study. You go kind of postmodernism, 20 minutes, go. We now go race and academy, 20 minutes, done. Which, of course, we haven't. It's the beginning of a discussion. But I think in terms of, in terms of and there's been so much gorgeous advice you've given here. And um but if you were kind of going back to yourself, I guess going back to yourself, starting off on your PhD, what advice um, would you give? So is that as a, do you mean advice particular to being a black person navigating the academy or do you just mean advice generally? Uh, well, that's an, that is an interesting question actually, isn't it? Yeah. Do you think that there is, there will be, something particular that you want to say about race in the academy or do you think it's that there's more kind of fundamental um yeah. issues so i think in terms of race in the academy i think we've quite in some ways we've already discussed that so for me a lot of my work has been about my why and also yeah. about um the legacy that i want to leave so i guess it would be about figuring out what is the legacy that you want to leave for the black scholars coming up behind you but for me more than that in some ways for black for young black people 
So a lot of the work that I do is like, I do this work because I don't want another generation of young black people to come up and say that there's no one's documented our theatre history. Right. So that does kind of, in a way, come back to the why. Mm. I guess Mm. my big tip, and it's the one again, that's got me managed to write the the publications that I have is the bird by bird tip. This actually comes from Anne Lamott's book, bird by bird, which I, I haven't even read the whole book, right? But I read the beginning of the book yes. and I read the kind of anecdote and the anecdote is about a, a young child who, maybe 10, so I think it was her brother or something, who had to do a project on birds. He had the whole summer to do the project. Uh, the project's now due tomorrow and he's sitting at the kitchen table with uh, an empty big sheet of paper and no birds. And he's kind of getting stressed because obviously it's quite last minute at that point. And he's saying to his his parents I can't remember if it's mum or dad help me I need your help please help me I just need to do some birds and the, the parent kind of says well you just need to do it it's, it's your task you need to do it bird by bird and that and then she kind of uses that anecdote as a place from which to kind of springboard off and talk about an attitude to creative writing mm. and she gives a couple of tips one just allocate the time for it and allow the creativity to happen and I absolutely love that. So it's like, mm. get, have yourself a good... Um, so for me, it was, I know that I can write in the Easter holidays. And so in the Easter holidays, I'm going to sit at my desk from 10 to 12 and 2 to 4, or some people write in the middle of the night. Then whatever your time is, you set that time aside and that you allow the creativity to happen. But And you trust that the creativity will happen. So you trust that, you know, you'll draw your first bird. Ah. Oh. And then you'll draw your next bird. And then before long, however long that, that takes, you'll have your, your page will be kind of full. And I, I just love that bird by bird metaphor. The other thing that came out of that was also don't judge the work. So don't judge it, just do it. I think in some PhD books, it's like, don't get it right, get it written. Yes. So it's don't judge what you're doing, just do it, get it out, you know, and... And I think that that's also a really helpful tip. And I think that's probably a really helpful tip for black writers as well. Because right. one of the things that happened to me in my PhD process is that I was very, very aware of the examiners. And I was very aware that the examiners were not likely to be black people. And I think being too aware of that, I eventually I couldn't, I got blocked. It was like, I can't write a thing because I'm trying to write, again, it's about voice, right? I'm trying to mm. write in the voice and the language that I think that they will understand, you know, but actually you sit there, you give the time, you write in your own voice and you don't judge it um, is really, really, they're they're my sort of top tips, I think. But bird by bird is really, really important because it means that you have, if it's 10 minutes a day or five minutes a day, you know, or two hours a day, whatever it is, you set that time aside and you, you, you give your energy to the project at that time and some days you won't write anything some days you'll just sit there and look at the empty screen or the empty page but that's okay just come back the next day for the next time that you have set aside and you do it again and eventually stuff does get written I find it sort of like magic almost really as a way of writing because it's like oh my god yeah if you just sit there and you just keep beavering and beavering away at it and beavering away at it you will get the publication done I love it. 
Thank you so much for that. And there's, there's lots of brilliant um, references that you have mentioned through this and with it, that will all be in the show notes so people can access that. Right. Thank you so much, well, Lynette, for you, your time. I enjoyed that. <laughs> um, and uh, be well. Yep, and you stay safe. Thank you.